Hey kids, I'm Michelle Carlo, and this show is Fish Out of Agua. Last week, a lifetime's worth of resentment and ignorance threatened to do to my mother what diabetes and a triple bypass couldn't. This week, it seems that all my family's battles have been won. Well, except for one. Which, even though it is pretty epic, it's more of the Tolkien variety. In case you've forgotten, I'm a geek! And as if we need any more proof, it's in this song by Led Zeppelin. To get us into the mood, to get us some Lord of the Rings on, later on.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was The Battle of Evermore from Led Zeppelin's fourth, the Zofo album. And we're going to open our stories today where we closed last time, with one of the many letters written throughout the book Fish Out of Agua that may not have been written, but were spoken. Chapter 54 When the Miracle Doesn't Come Dear Michelle, I was angry for a long time. I'm still angry sometimes, even now. Because I wasn't crazy when they locked me away. But I'm sure I was when I came out. You don't know what that is. To cry for help and have no one listen. To feel like you can't count on anyone or anything. To feel totally abandoned and betrayed. Or, maybe you do. But you think I didn't give you anything? You had two things that I never had. One was your father. The second was freedom. The freedom to make your own choices. The freedom to be yourself. I think you realize that now. And I think you realize there was never, ever a time where I didn't love Kevin and you. You are my blessings. My children. Love, always and forever. Mom. 1 Corinthians thirteen six through 8 Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. P.S. Michelle, I think your Titi Ophelia needs a facelift. Don't you? P.S.S. You should think about getting another cat. I think Jubilee is lonely. And now, Chapter 55, The Return of the Queen. I did get Jubilee another cat, but not until the following March. This day was Christmas Day, 2007. Who's the white wizard again? Oh, Mom, that's that's Gandalf. He's like God. Well, not really God, but like, like one of the angels. And who is the red eye? That's Sauron. He's the devil. Well... Not really the devil, but his emissary. You know, sent by the devil to take over the earth, uh, the Middle Earth. Ah, the one with the ring. The little one. Is he gay? In real life? I think Gandalf and Pippin might be, but I'm not sure about Frodo. Such a big deal about a little ring. Yeah, I know. But it's a good story. Isn't it? 
It's been ten years since my father died. Three years since my marriage broke up. Six months after my eighteen-year-old Boris, the little gray Russian-blue kitten whose big poop had once saved me from starvation and whose last living days had sparked another miracle, had also died. And I was sitting in my living room with my mother and Kevin after Christmas dinner trying to watch The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. It was like an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, only Latin style. I don't know about you, but I was a teenager before I realized people actually watched television in silence. Every TV viewing I had ever experienced that included any member of my family contained an ongoing parallel dialogue that did not end until either the dial or remote had been finally switched off, or one by one, they all began to snore and drool in their respective places. Exhausted, no doubt, by the exertion of running non-stop color commentary that only took a break during the commercials. Mira, mira ese share. How could she show her belly button like that? Que sinvergüenza. Oh, ooh, 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 I know who shot J.R. It was his mama. Hmm, that sweater Mr. Huxtable's wearing? I saw the exact same one at Corvette's. On sale. Mr. Neelix, I think he's gay. They let gay aliens be on the Enterprise now, right? Mom! Kevin yelled as he rewound the DVD back for the fifth time in an attempt to watch the Battle of the Pelennor Field scene once, just once, without interruption. Mom, they're hobbits. Hobbits? she asked. Hobbits, he answers. Little people. Like dwarves. I try to help. No, Mom. Gimli. That one. He's the dwarf. Which one is he? That one. The elf. Legolas's friend. Oh, that one. Are they gay? No, my mother is not and has never been dumb. When I was young, she considered Carl Young and Jose Ortega y Gasset light reading. And she is not homophobic. She's met Kevin's and my gay friends and loved them all, even though sometimes she couldn't resist trying to convert them. But she has, however, been obsessed by gay movie and television characters and actors ever since Rock Hudson, one of her favorite actors of all time, had to leave one of her favorite television shows of all time, Dynasty. I remembered that night, a sprinkle of years before. Michelle, they say Rock Hudson is not coming back to the show. No, Mom, he's not. He has AIDS. Oh, he can't have AIDS. Only gay people get AIDS. That's not true. But he does have AIDS. He does not have AIDS. He just has a cold. He kissed Linda Evans last season. Mom, he's gay. He is not. He kissed Doris Day, too, and he almost married her. Mom, that was in 1950. It's 1985. He married Jim Neighbors. He's gay. Jim Neighbors? You mean Gomer Pyle? Yes, Mom. Rock Hudson married Gomer Pyle. They're both gay. Oh, well, maybe that... Jim Naples is, but not Rock Hudson. He's too handsome. 
You know what the problem with you, Michelle, is? You believe everything you read. My mother doesn't believe anything she reads, or hears, or sees. If it contradicts what she believes is the orderly state of the universe, it doesn't exist. Only, my mother's universe left off in 1955, when she left accounts receivable at Gimbel's 33rd Street to marry my father. We settled down to watch the Battle of the Pelennor Field scene. Again. Those big elephants, Michelle. Are they mastodons? Well, kind of, Mom, but not really. They're imaginary creatures. And those people on them with all the makeup, are they supposed to be from the Middle East? Well, kind of, but not really. They're allegorical. Allah? Allah? So they're Osama bin Laden? My mother turned and blurted at the television. Get them, Gandalf! Get them! Slay them with your white light! All I could do was sit there and look at my mother and think, she is who she is. I am who I am. And there are some things that just won't change. Ever. My mother continued to watch the rest of the movie, giving her opinion on every costume, line of dialogue, and plot point. By the time the movie was over, I was totally drained. Kevin was exhausted, laying spread-eagled on the floor. He went into my bedroom to pet Jubilee, and she tried to bite him, just like Kimchi always did. Now, there have been tragedies in my family. There may be other tragedies yet to come. But this one? This is not one of them. I look at my mother sparkling and energized, as if the movie was an elven tonic that wiped away a measure, of, a measure of years, and I start to tell her so, but she beats me. That was a great movie, my mother said. Now I know why you read those books so much when you were younger. Mom, I still read them. I think J.R.R. Tolkien is one of the greatest fantasy writers of all time. Did you know he was also friends with the poet and novelist C.S. Lewis, and they were both Catholic? They put a lot of their beliefs into their writing and... Were they gay? Kevin yelled from the bedroom, Mom! Ow! Jubilee! <laughs> I laughed. It was going to be okay. Finally. It wasn't too late. For her. Or for us.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Led Zeppelin's Misty Mountain Hop from their fourth album in 1971, and Al Green singing one of my mother's favorite songs of all time from his album of the same name in 1972, playing underneath and after those stories. I also want to say a disclaimer about Rock Hudson marrying Jim Neighbors. That was untrue. An urban legend, if you will. One that was, however, believed by many in the 1980s, including dopey art school students. And now, it's time for our last Fish Out of Agua guest artist for the season. We've got one of the, we got, we have one of the most interesting people I've had the pleasure to meet, who has also lived one of the most interesting lives and has one of the most interesting stories. As someone who has been a nun, a stand-up comedian, educator, and advocate would have. Or maybe I should just hush and let her tell you. Hey, kids. We're, it's the time for Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. And tonight, I have tonight, huh? I'm recording this in, in the night, and it's really going to run in the daytime sometime. But I'm sitting here with a person who I'm so excited to share with you. Um, she's an artist and an activist and an educator and a poet and a writer, and she's even been a nun. Um, Kelly Dunham. Hi, hi. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. We were trying to figure out how we knew each other before we began, and um, we have um, a friend, a mutual friend in common, well, friend for me and uh, ex-wife for you, right, because you're a widow now, Cheryl B., who was a poet and a very well-known poet and writer in the early aughts around the New York City scene, and um, we were, Cheryl and I were pretty good friends that would 
support each other's work. And I think that's how uh, we met, right, Yeah, Kelly? we originally met at, a, I think, a reading of yours that Cheryl was going to. Um, and she said, hey, I want you to meet my friend Michelle here. I, this is really amazing. And your book was coming out just about the same time. And I remember we had your book, and we would uh, we actually read in bed together, read your book. And then really? We were like, yeah, look at this part, look at this part. And the part about the Bronx, or the Brooklyn Queens Day and the kids beating you up, and then we're, we're, we're good now, we're good now, right? Oh, like kill, kill Whitey Day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kill Whitey Day, yeah. Um, that was Kill Whitey Day and Kill Black and Puerto Rican. Those book, the book that Kelly's talking about, <clears throat> Fish Out of Agua, <laughs> the namesake of this show. <laughs> Oh my God! That and that was in 2010. Yeah, that yeah, was just that, had just come out. Yeah. Oh my God! It's oh. it seems like so long ago. It seems like so. Yeah, it seems like she's like not gone at all, and that she's been gone for a decade. Yeah. So know? cancer sucks. That's all we're gonna say. Can't cancer cancer sucks. And uh, Cheryl, I hope somebody um, gives you some waves that we're sending you a lot of love. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Kelly. So. Um, like your journey is like so freaking amazing. Like you've done more things in your life <laughs> in like or maybe like the past twenty years than people do in like seven lifetimes. So how how did you get to be where you are today? And I don't mean sitting on my couch <laughs> petting my cat. Petting your cat. Well, um, let's see, my first my first life in New York was as a nun. I was a missionary of charity, um, first a pre aspirant and then an aspirant. Um What does a- that mean? Well, that's like the very, very, very beginning stages of being a nun. Um, you're supposed to be a pre-aspirant for a month, um, but because I had insufficient docility, um, they made me be a pre-aspirant for... Insufficient docility. Uh, which we even knew that was a good thing, right? Uh, because I had pre um, insufficient docility, they made me be a pre-aspirant for a year and a half, which is like failing preschool 18 times. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah, I was not a good nun. So it's not like the flying nun. Not that um, I have not that I even watched that show. Even I am a little bit too young. I'm too the, old, too young to have seen that. Yeah, for yeah, the flying yeah. Nun. Yeah. Um, I mean, in some ways it was similar. I was always in trouble. She was always in trouble. I didn't fly though. There okay. was no flying. No. Mm-mm. All right. No. no we wore too many clothes to fly. Like our clothes are very heavy and sticky. That's true. No, it's not and like smelly. Also, it's not like you guys were like taking mescaline or anything. <laughs> no, there was so little mescaline. So, um, so when that didn't work out. Are you are you a native New Yorker? I don't even know. Mm-mm. I'm originally from Wisconsin. Oh wow, Midwest. Yeah. God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like Cheryl used to say, "Wow, that's like white square." That's yeah. Like seriously. White. Seriously. Yeah. It's like um, white on white. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in Hartford, Wisconsin, which is you know I uh, work in a school that has that during the '70s had 7,000 students. The same time I was living in a town in Hartford that um or town in wisconsin called hartford that had 500 people in the entire in town. the 70s right exactly so oh my uh, god so the school was existing for with 14 times more students than the people in my town <laughs> speechless <laughs> so um what what when did you come here how old were you when you came to new york um i moved here originally to be a nun that was like right. my first thing so that was in the Mm, like 92, 91, 92, like that. Um, I was here for uh, like three or four years for that. And then when they were like, no, this isn't really working out. Um, I lived in Philadelphia uh, for about a decade and then moved back. Okay. And what were you doing when you moved back? What is that when you started getting into comedy? Were you you writing? I doing comedy. In fact, Cheryl and I had met years previous to that. I, she had no use for me. I was like trying to flirt with her and all that. She just had, she had, she couldn't be bothered years ago, but, um, (laughs) Uh, I had been performing for a long time and, uh, and then I'd been living in Portland, Oregon, which is not my favorite place. It's like the anti-New York. Um, and then I was like, well, I needed to move back East. And I was like, well, New York 
every performer should live in New York at least once in their life. And then I when I moved so. here, I was like, oh, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. So. It's funny. I think that some people are just wired to be New Yorkers. Like yeah. some people say that you have to be born and raised here to be a native New Yorker. And I say that's bullshit. Because if you're a New Yorker, you feel it in your in your heart, and you can't live anywhere else. You have to be here. Yeah, I always say that. Yeah. Like, oh, well, what if I, you know, mobility-wise, like, I have any problems? What if I couldn't get around? I was like, well, then I'll just, like, find one room in Manhattan and, like, take the bus everywhere. Like, it just doesn't seem like yeah. anywhere else would work for me. And so. there's people that are born and raised here that don't like it here, and uh, they all move upstate, so right, there right, you go. Right, to New Jersey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jersey. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, what did your comedy, like, start from? Like what, 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 you know, like I would say Fish Out of Agua was like my way of trying to reconcile identity and race and all the bullshit that I went through when I was growing up in the, in the 70s. And like, how, why did your comedy come out of? Well, and like making sense of things. Right. Well, I mean, I, largely that, largely making sense of things. I started, um, when I first started performing comedy, I was trying to do it kind of the traditional way where, you know, you um, go to comedy clubs and you do an open mic and then you do a bringer show and all that kind of thing. And, yeah, um, I remember those. Uh, you know, this was in, like, I guess I started performing first time around, like, nine, 99, 2000, like that. And uh, my used to start, um, I used to start my com every, you know, you start uh, shows with, um, I need you to uh, ignore all the visual cues and believe that I am... Um, an adult female and not a 12-year-old boy, right? And uh, this guy in the audience uh, yelled, you're not a 12-year-old boy, you're a big fat dyke. And oh. before I could even, like, screen it, before it came out, before I even they're, they're just bypassed my brain entirely, I just said, oh, and this was right when the when the pedophilia uh, stuff had just broke with the Catholic Church, and I said, you're just sad I'm not a 12-year-old boy, you and the um, priests both. Oh, psych! <laughs> Which was hitting him back way too hard, right? Yeah. And he I don't chased care. He me. He deserved it. He, he deserved chased it. me in the parking lot with a broken bottle. Like, chased me in the parking lot with a oh, broken bottle. Oh, snap. And as he was chasing me, I was like, you know, I either have to get, like, um, different material or different audiences, <laughs> or I need to get better at running. And I was like, <laughs> oh I don't like god. to run. I'm going to change my audiences. Oh, my God. And oh, then snap. I started to really mold myself as more Wait, like... Where, a, where was this? So you uh, better not say. You know, it was a, it's, I don't think it's open anymore. It was one of those... Uh, it was a comedy... Um, bar comedy um club in the basement of like a hampton inn in northwest philadelphia no oh, so geez. i don't think it's open anymore. oh no no no, no uh, i would be no. super surprised i remember it was like still when people could smoke and it was like completely smoky and it was just like series of like wow i didn't even know you could make that joke racist and homophobic and xenophobic at the same time. Congratulations. It was just disgusting. And it's basements. Right. <laughs> Bottom feeders. It's right, basements. Exactly. Did you ever go to um the the what they used to call the Lower East Side alternative comedy performance venue? Did you ever go to Surf Reality or Collective Unconscious or Luna Lounge or any um, of those? Luna Lounge. I did Luna Lounge a little bit like back in the day. Um Which would those, have been like two thousand. Yeah. Um those are some of the places like I started I started with um what was the Chicks in Comedy one that Michelle... Oh, yeah. And yeah, that was um, that was how I met uh, Cheryl the first time, like in 2005, 2006, like that. And actually, I was really grateful for that because that gave me an idea of how comedy could be different. Huh. You know, and so I was like, well... So it seems like to me, like, people who are doing comedy just, like, going to comedy clubs and just touring like that really almost ended up doing, like, cover... Like, the, the comedy equivalent of being a cover song, right? Like, they're just, oh, this is my joke about, like, L.A. and New York are different... This is my joke about, um, you know, how men are different from women. Mm. All just like very kind of boring, mundane topics, but I wanted to talk about different stuff. And also, I look different, right? I'm like, you know, like genderqueer. And it just 
so I was kind of forced into another another way of being, another way of making a career. And um, so I just modeled myself on um, like an independent musician. I just put out a CD every three years and it would just tour it. So, oh, I didn't even know you did music. Well, no, no, not music, comedy, comedy. Oh, comedy. Oh, okay. Because so, you like music. I'm like, did you play guitar? Did I miss something? <laughs> no, I mean almost like every oh, okay. lesbian plays a guitar, but I'm I'm mm. not in that category. Okay, I'm a guitar playing lesbian. Um, yeah, but I just put out a, a CD. I know because there's so years. many, right? Yeah. <laughs> I put out a CD every three years, and then I would like I did Lady Fest for a long time. I did Prides one year. I did like 37 Prides in one year. Oh my um, god! Back when Prides had money to pay, they don't. So were you, were you making bank or were you just getting by? Uh, I mean, then I still had a day job, um, until I moved to, uh, to New York, I had a day job. Um, and then, you know, that was, you put those together, it was pretty good. Wow. But in 2008, people really lost after that recession. People lost, um, that money to have that kind of money for prides and stuff like that. Right. So, and people lost a lot of money for going out. People right. lost money to, to buy an extra bag of friggin' cat litter. Right. Exactly. Seriously. Exactly. So it changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, but then I was here, so I had lots of other alternatives. And I do a lot of performing for, I do um, nurses' conferences. I do home visiting conferences because I was a home visiting nurse for years. That's right. You were a yeah. nurse, too. Yeah. Well, you still are a nurse. Like once a nurse, a nurse, always a nurse. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have my license, and I still um, do a little private duty nursing for, um, for like, rich people who've had... Uh, Plastic surgery. That's really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a lucrative side gig. And then oh my I also, God, like, that's interesting. And then I'm also like, you know, oh, and I tell them like a, a story about like a student I worked with or something like that to also give them the idea about like, oh, there's people whose biggest problem is not that they just had plastic surgery. Right, you know? right. So, yeah. Yeah, the biggest problem is that, no, actually the biggest problem could be that they would need plastic surgery, but not because they wanted to. Right. Yeah, right, like they exactly. got cut up or something. Right, exactly. Oh, my exactly. God. Oh, so. my God. Now, now I want dirt on people, but that will be after the show, <laughs> after the interview. So um, when did you become a teacher? I'm not a teacher. I'm actually a community school director. Oh, okay. So um, basically what that is is the idea behind the community school movement in general is that you're it's a way of putting resources into schools so that basically it frees up Teachers to teach, principals to be principals, you know, that kind of thing. Like, mm. for example, um, we're doing a lot of, I work with an arts organization that brings in a lot of um, arts into uh, into the school and also helps engage kids around attendance, you know, like, because by the time kids are in high school, like, if they're really not, if they don't really see a future for them that involves academics exactly, it's hard to, really hard to engage them with, no, no, math, math is important, so... You know, like, oh, sometimes I might be interested in video production or music production or visual arts or something like that. So, like, finding different ways to engage kids um, to keep them, you know, at least slightly invested in the school process and coming to school. That's amazing. That's God's work, man. I mean, that's that's just... I'm, like, floored because, like, I think that people like you should be the ones that are making the athletes' salaries because I, in my mind, like, if you're making a kid into a better person, that's worth more than how many fucking home runs you hit. Yeah, well, you know, think that's very... That's true. only my opinion. But who's listening? <laughs> right, right. Betsy Devo? <laughs> right, yeah, oh, I, I mean Devo's. So. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't think she's listening. No, I don't, I don't think, think she's thinking. No, no she yeah. doesn't listen to anything. That, that's fine. So, <laughs> But a lot of people were listening when you did your last uh, play festival. Oh, yeah. And your storytelling festival called Organ Recital. Organ Recital. Which, did you know that that's actually a slang term for fart? Did you know that? No. I did not know that. And somebody announced that the last night of the festival. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that at all. Really? I know. I work with teenagers. I thought I, 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 
accidentally keep up on slang even if I don't want to. So is that like a new slang or is that like an I old? I think it might be an old, old, old slang. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe like really old. Yeah, but you know, organ recital is also like a play on organs and recital. Anyway, I thought it was a cute name. Um, it's actually suggested by Hannah Blank, uh, who's a writer uh, um, and a friend of mine. So I thought it was a great name. Anyway, the idea behind it was... Yeah, how did you come up with the idea yeah, so of it and all of that? I have actually wanted to do a storytelling festival for a while. And um, last year I was involved in Cinderblock Comedy Festival. Do you know what happened Yes, I heard about that. Right, so they, they did this like alternative thing where they really like they charged uh, cisgendered straight white men full price to apply. And then they, uh, then they um, everyone else, they gave them a little bit of break and people lost their mind. White cis straight comics lost their mind. Um, male comics lost their oh, mind. Guess what? Guess what you're not going to find on this show either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, they, the rest of the world can have that. Yeah, they can yeah. have the rest of the world, right? Yeah. So um, I was really impressed by what they were doing. And it was Especially really comics. <laughs> they were, you know, they were really... For now. Making such a... You know, they're making a festival kind of out of nothing. And I was like, oh, that's for young kids. Like, I don't, you know, I'm almost 50. I can't do that. And, um... And then Trump got elected, and I was like, you know what? Like, that's not an option. Being this, being too tired to do something isn't really an option. Um, so I was like, okay, we're going to do it as a, as a, so it's, you know, um, stories about bodies, health, and health care. And it was all really, it was all resistance. It was all, like, um, the first night was all, um, it was called Fat Imagination. Um, the second night was, oh, it was amazing. It was the Valentine's Day show, and it was about, um, I love my pre-existing condition stories of the ACA. Oh, and it was packed. Stephanie Schroeder and Ashley Young did that. Um, uh, you know, curated that. It was packed. It was packed on a Tuesday night to hear insurance stories. Um, Jess Tom always, uh, also did a great show. Um, we did a show on death. Uh, we did a queer memoir on how we survived, um, and then a take two at the end. And it was actually, and we had a couple workshops. It was fantastic. Uh, people. One of the really nice things is uh, Joanna Briley, who I know from two thousand and one performing comedy. Um, she's straight. And since I mostly do queer shows, I've never been able to book her. And, um, so I booked her and I was like, oh, she's a comic. I don't know, you know. And she told this like really beautiful story about, um, about an experience with her dad and how he was dead to her before he was actually dead. And she was like, wow, I didn't know I could talk about that on stage. And I was like, for me, that was the answer. I was like, if I can just help comics talk about some of these things that they think maybe they can't, that they can only talk about airline food or like, you know, um, hotel soap. And really realize that they can talk about death and stuff on stage and really be, make comedy into a more medium that changes the world. I was like, all right, that's great. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. Because like we all have stories like that. And the, the, the sad thing is, is that we don't have venues or places that allow us to be that honest and frank sometimes. And, and pe- but people want those stories. And people want those yeah. stories. I mean, that's what I've learned with Queer Memoir, too, is like, Queer Memoir, it's, you know, it's now in the seventh year. We never have more than less than 60 people there. And it is literally just a person standing on a stage saying, okay, so this is what happened to me. You know, yeah. it's not fancy. There's no, nobody's juggling anything. There's no burlesque. There's no glitter. It's just like, but people are hungry for that. People are really, really it's hungry Because it's raw stuff and, yeah. it, and, it's, and it's nutrition. Right, exactly. And, and it's healing. Yeah. It is. Stories of friggin' power, man. So when is the next Queer Memoir? Uh, the next Queer Memoir we're doing as part of... Um, the actually the opening of the High Line. Oh, isn't that amazing? They asked us to do that. I felt really so. It's April twenty second. Um, and there'll be more before that. And also, we'll probably organ recital maybe a monthly show. Um, there was Ooh. a lot of there was a lot of topics that we just couldn't get into because it was so. I mean, first of all, it was way too ambitious doing uh, seven days of shows. I know by myself for the first. I know. I mean, I'd co curators, but um, 
but but um, you did it. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and it was packed. It was great. Um, but we didn't do one like on like people were like, you need to do one on chronic pain. You need to do one on, oh, dis- right, right, right. on disability. Uh, email me. <laughs> yeah. Tell me. Well, we'll get you in next time. <laughs> Just right. like well, maybe we'll have some cis white comics next season. On. <laughs> next year. Well, you know what I mean. We, we're going to be inclusionary, but right. some people get to be included first. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So Kelly, if somebody wants to get in touch with you about any of the fabulous things that you do, what should what should they do? We've got okay. a website? Yeah. Uh, so my website is kellydunham.com. So it's K E L I just I. D-U-N as in Nancy, H-A-M as in Mary, dot com. And that's also um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All those are just my just my name. All right, kids, you heard it here from Brooklyn. All right, Fish Out of Agua interview signing out. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Kelly. Woo! You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua. We started this season last year on November 15, 2016, And back then, we had no idea how we were going to feel at the end. But here we are, at the end. Half a year later, it's 2017, 26 weeks later to be exact. Today is May 9, 2016, and the book, Fish Out of Agua, we've completed serializing it, so that's about to end. But before we get to the final story, I'd like to talk for a few minutes about how it all began. It's been said it takes a village to raise a child, and that's also true for a book. I began telling the stories that would later become Fish Out of Agua at the Moth Story Slams. For those of you who don't know, the Moth is a now multinational storytelling organization founded by author George George Dawes Green with a group of friends on a southern United States porch, and then brought up to New York City in the um, late 1990s. But back in the early 2000s, when I discovered it, there were it was a group of people, including Adam Wade, Andy Christie, Martin Dockery, Brian Finkelstein, James Brawley, Sherry Weaver, Jeff Rudell, Dave Mowers, Steve Osborne, Michaela Murphy, Dina Perlman, Cindy Chupak, a sweet, visually impaired older gentleman whose name escapes me, and so many others. This small group of people, not even somebody, it wasn't that so many, but it was a, a group a small group of people who gathered at the New Yorican Poets Cafe on East 3rd Street in New York City's East Village to put our names in a hat for the chance of getting five minutes on stage to tell our story once a month. And in those days, it wasn't unusual for now executive and senior producers Jennifer Hickson and Sarah Austin Jeunesse, or even on occasion artistic director Catherine Burns to take the stage themselves if there weren't enough names in the hat. An incident that probably rarely, if ever, happens now. A few years went by. I became a regular at the Moth Story Slams and was often asked when I would put those stories in the book. Eh, someday, I would say. I had even had a chance meeting with a stand-up comedian, Janet Rosen, I had been friendly with during the surf reality days. She had become a literary agent, and she had given me her card, saying that if I ever thought about turning my stories into a book... I should give her a call. I put the card away. But by the end of 2007, I made two decisions that would change my life. One, I quit smoking cigarettes. And two, I joined a writing group headed by freelance writer-editor and sometimes performer Jennifer DeMerit and a few other people I'd known from performing. Soon afterwards, I was halfway through a book proposal and I tore my apartment apart looking for that agent's card. And when I found it, I remember thinking, oh, she wouldn't remember. 
And then, well, what if she does remember? I emailed Janet the next day, and she replied ten minutes later with, Send me what you have now. We began working together. She became my agent, and at the end of 2008, the proposal went out to prospective publishers. I seem to remember that two were interested. One offered more of an advance, along with many suggestions for changing the book. The other offered substantially less, but said that she loved everything about this project and she wanted to help make it the best it could be. I went with that one, Amy Pyle of Citadel Kensington. I signed the contract in February 2009, and by September 2010, I was signing books at my first book launch party. And in some ways, it's like, all right, I wrote a book, so what? Now what? But in another more fundamental way, it's allowed me to meet and work with some amazing people over the last six and a half years, which includes me doing this show with Rob Pritchard and Tom Tenney here on Radio Free Brooklyn, both of whom were integral to that little performance space on Allen Street called Surf Reality and its art stars, the place where my true creative life and many other true creative lives began. All those pieces that had to be put into place and all those people I needed to connect and reconnect with in order for Fish Out of Agua to happen. And you may think that it was all random, but I believe, as Gandalf once said to Frodo, that sometimes things are meant to happen when they happen. And that's a good thing. But also, as Gandalf said, all good things must come to an end. And now we've reached our last story. This is Chapter 56 of Fish Out of Agua. Fish Out of Agua. I did see my great-grandmother one last time. She was walking towards me, walking across the field in front of the hospital where she had died. Only she looked the way she had in the old photograph Abuelita had shown me when I was a child. She was tall and strong, with jet-black waist-length hair, skin the color of a cinnamon stick, and cheekbones too sharp to endure. A princess. A priestess. With every step she took, grass sprouted from the ruined earth. Withered trees blossomed. The once scabrous pigeons grew new feathers and sang, and many-colored butterflies appeared out of nowhere, sacrificing their lives to adorn her like living jewels. She came nearer to me and outstretched her arms, speaking first softly and then imploringly. And when she finally got close enough for me to hear, I woke up choking back a scream, with sweat pouring down my face and my heart pounding as it never had before. She had been speaking to me in Spanish, and I couldn't understand her. I didn't understand. As I lay back down and tried to calm myself, I drifted between the waking world and the other world, and at last I knew what my great-grandmother had been trying to tell me all along. I understood what she had meant every time she spoke to me without talking, looked at me without seeing, grasped me with those iron hands. It was my abuelita's job to be the caretaker, and my mother's job to be the criticizer and the criticized. My job was to be the recorder. And now that I finally understood this, 
great-grandma's job was done. Mine was about to begin. And that's our show. You have been listening to the serialization of my book, Fish Out of Agua, on Radio Free Brooklyn. When I started this show, November 15, 2016, I had no clue whatsoever how to put a radio show together. And some of you listening may be thinking, ha, she still doesn't. And that's fine, because what I said at the beginning on our first episode has come true. Now that we're done, I wish I could go back and do it all again. And we kind of can, because we're going to have a second season. Woo! Yep. Fish Out of Agua, the book, has ended, but Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo will continue. Next week, May 16th, Season 5 will start with a slightly different format. We're keeping the name and the Fish Out of Water theme, and we'll expand the guest artist segments and showcase a bit of their stories or songs, along with presenting some of my post-2007 writing and some other stuff. Surprises. I have no idea. We'll figure it out. We figured it out last time. We'll figure it out this time. (laughs) Hey, I didn't let not knowing how to do a radio show stop me from doing one. And on that note, I'd like to shout out fellow Radio Free Brooklyners Gabrielle St. Evenson and Jim Moore for their patience and kindness while helping me train how to do this. And also thank RFB founders Rob Pritchard and Tom Tenney for once again giving us all a place to play. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next. And remember, kids, it's never going to be as good as it was, and it's never going to be as good as it's going to be. Don't believe me? Well, ask the band Blur, because they sang just that on their Great Escape album from 1995. All right, kids, we're done this time, but we'll see you next week.
my god, we're back. Ha, my last week I make a rookie mistake and I didn't have enough songs. So I have two more for you. You two, Angel of Harlem, and we are going to close close with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. This land is your land, which I wanted to close anyway. So it all works out. All right, kids, it's we're signing out. See you next week with season two. Woohoo! Larry Mullen Jr. <laughs> I don't have a mic on, so you don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> if I had feet like that, Lawrence, I wouldn't want them in this room. If I had a head like yours, I'd bleed and bury you. It's your land.